You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Going beyond the box score and the diamond, this is the show with the latest news and information on your hometown nine and the entire organization. It's Inside Twins. Inside Twins is sponsored by Killebrew Root Beer, locally owned and operated. It's how memories are created and legends are made. And good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Inside Twins, brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer, locally owned and operated. It's how memories are created and legends are made. It is a gorgeous day here at Target Field. Twins and the Rockies set to wrap up this weekend series. Rubber game today as Joe Ryan gets the ball for the Twins here in Game 3. And former Ohio State Buckeye Ryan Feltner gets the ball today for the Rockies to decide the series. I'm Corey Provis. We thank you for joining us on the Sunday show. And our guest in person live inside the Treasure Island Baseball Network studios is Twins President of Baseball Operations. Great to see face-to-face Derek Falvey back for this Sunday show. And we were just chatting a moment ago. It's been a while since we've done this show, really years Face-to-face. Nice to see you. Welcome back. Good to see you. I've seen you in the interim for sure, but but in this room and doing this show here, I can't remember the last time I did it that way, so so good to be here. Yeah, great to have you back as the Twins look to uh, win this series here today, and boy, this has been some homestand. It has been dramatic baseball outside of last night. Everything uh, decided by one run. Let's go back to Cleveland if we can, that, that series, and I'm wondering... After a win or after a loss, what does Derek Falvey, Thad Levine, what do you guys do in terms of, of chatting with Rocco and dissecting why the game went a certain way? And, and what do you do once the game is over, whether it's a one-run win or a loss? Yeah, I think you know the key for me is I always I check in with Rocco on the road or at home uh, every game, post-game. And it's usually because we might have an issue, but whether it's an injury or um, usage in the bullpen or something like that where we need to get a guy from AAA, we're always approaching it the same way. We're, we're fans at heart. We love the game. We're all emotional. When you have a good win or you have a, a tough loss, it, it, it hits you that way. We try not to let that emotion impact our decisions in that moment obviously so that we can better prepare ourselves for the next week ahead forgetting about just that one that one night uh, it, but you definitely feel it when you have tough losses right at the end of those games it's hard to shake you go home and, and you're struggling with it a little bit you don't get to bed right away but every night we're trying to plan for the next day and then put ourselves in a position to show up the next day the same way and I think our players do that and our staff does that and if we do that we'll put ourselves in a, ch- a chance to win more games than not how much second guessing goes on more so, I'm guessing, in losses, where you, you look back and, and do you ever ask Rocco directly why this guy here in the eighth or why did you pull this guy, why not pinch run? Do you ever go that, down that path? No, never in those moments do we do, do we go down that path. He may share some things he's been thinking in the game or what, if he was on the fence about decision A or decision B and you know, kind of him just venting that out. But that's a time post-game where it's emotional, where you, you know, you're struggling with it. If it didn't go well, you're frustrated by it. The key is you, know, you learn a lot about the way after-action reviews work, you know, whether that's in the military or other businesses or otherwise. 
Try and do those in less emotional times. We have all of the next day to talk through some of those things. So he'll bring them up the next day. We'll talk about it, usage, how he went down that path. But that's Rocco's decision. I, I have full faith and belief that he and Jace and and uh, and Wes and, and, and everybody in that, Tony Diaz, everyone in that conversation is prepared before the game and in the game to make that call. Sometimes they don't work out, but their process I see firsthand every day, and it's a really good process. So I trust that we're going to have bad outcomes, but really good process behind it. How often does that process evolve as the season plays out, particularly with what the Twins have coming up next week, seeing Cleveland five games in four days? Does the process change from what you guys built and developed entering the series this week that will be tweaked a bit for this coming week? Well, I think foundationally it's pretty it's pretty similar, right? You have every series you want to use the same foundational principles. The way Joe Ryan pitches and attacks is probably going to be pretty similar outing to outing. Now you may face a slew of lefties in the lineup or a bunch of switch hitters or, you know, in the Rockies' case, a lot more righties in their lineup than lefties. That may change the plan a bit based on who he's facing, what that looks like. But the process behind it is how do we maximize the strengths of the guys that we have against the group that we're playing. And oftentimes that does stay fairly consistent. When you've just played a team, you know, a series before, and you're playing them again, obviously there's a little bit more familiarity. But how we're going to attack those guys probably lines up with the advance that we did beforehand. Feltner pitches today, Ryan Feltner for the Rockies, and he's a right-hander. And traditionally, left-handers in baseball hit righties better than the opposite. And Feltner is in that group. But Rocco mentioned this week that reverse split seems to be higher than he can recall in any season, and especially with Cleveland, where you put more righties against some of these right-handed pitchers. Has the game, is this an odd just trend right now we're seeing in the game or something worth worth studying more that there are some more reverse splits in today's game? I think they're, the best thing about baseball, and we've talked about this before, Corey, is there's a continued cat-and-mouse game between pitching and hitting over the course of every decade of baseball. I know Lockett's talked now about the power in the game and how before there was less power but maybe more slap hitting, more bunting. All of those are responses to what people are trying to do to attack you, right? If, if a pitcher's trying to throw a pitch to a certain location consistently, well, then how do you attack that as a hitter? That's what a hitting coach's job is. That's what a hitter's job is to try and counter that. I think what we're seeing now are pitchers making adjustments when they see a lineup. They're a right-handed pitcher, and they see a lineup that has nine lefties in it, and they realize, <laughs> okay, I've got to find it, a way to get those guys out to make an adjustment. You're seeing a lot more cutters against opposite-handed hitters, so a right-handed pitcher, left-handed hitter, a lot more cutters, a lot more curveballs, development of the changeup. So it continues to evolve in the game. I do think there are guys that have true reverse tendencies and reverse split tendencies, but uh, but you still need to track to see if, if that's really true over time. Carlos Correa put it this way on a recent homestand. He said, hitters capitalize on pitchers' mistakes, that if the pitcher is executing what he is desiring to do and can do, he is going to win. Is it that simple? It, I think it is. I actually I fully agree with that with Carlos. If you have a pitcher out there and he knows his plan uh, against an individual hitter and he executes exactly the four pitches he throws in that at-bat or the five pitches he throws in that at-bat, it's very unlikely that hitter is going to get a hit. That's just the way it works. I remember years ago talking to a really advanced hitter against a really advanced pitcher, and he said, I just shut off one half of the plate. I don't even look in. All I do is look away because I know he's going to pound me away. If he throws three fastballs in her half and dots the, the corner and I, it's three strikes, I just tip my cap, I go back to the dugout, and I hope the next time I get the ball away that I can drive to the opposite field. So every once in a while, that's just the way pitcher-hitter matchups work. Chris Archer last night uh, picked up his second win. He's made now 14 starts for the Twins. He went five innings, no runs, gave up only one hit. He was really good again last night. You mentioned the word plan. 
when you were pitching the Twins' plan to him when he was throwing out in Arizona back in March, has it worked out exactly how you pitched him that if you sign with us, this is how it's going to go? Well, I think in, in many ways it has. You know, we've been very happy with what Chris has done. He hadn't pitched for about two years you know, at the major league level, certainly not healthy over those two years. He pitched some up and down, but he was never at his full effectiveness. And so when you bring a guy back from a couple of surgeries and you realize he hasn't built up over time and he's healthy at that point, which we saw this offseason once we got a chance to scout him out in Arizona, we could see that there are a lot of good signs here. But as you build him up, putting him in and just stomping on the gas pedal from day one probably isn't the best way to keep him healthy over the long portion of the season. So we built in somewhat slowly. He had shorter outings at the outset, but our goal had always been to continue to ramp those up, to put him in a position where when he comes out of the game in the fifth inning uh, of a game, he feels good. And then he's mentally feeling as good as he is physically about the idea of going deep into games. And I think you're seeing that now in his last number of outings and an ability to go a little deeper into the game and, and then partner with him on how how he's feeling uh, from a physical standpoint. He has yet to throw 80 pitches, though, in a start. So is it is it fair to the bullpen, knowing that when he's going to get the ball every four or five days, he's going to get 12 outs, maybe 15 right now, knowing that the bullpen, you, you guys are going to be a big part of this particular game and this particular start? Well, I think the game has definitely changed in that way. What, I think what used to be considered whatever the average pitch total was for a starter continues to fall. It's in the 80s, right? So I think that... Um, when, a, when a pitcher is out there and he's starting and we have a plan, we know who the guys are behind it. We know what that day is going to look like. We hope that there's a day following that or before that where Dylan Bundy can give us you know, seven innings or Joe Ryan's coming the day after and can give us a little bit more. It's, it's essentially incumbent upon the whole group to work together to figure out what that looks like. And we certainly had our bullpen throw some innings, more innings than maybe they ideally would at the outset of the season. But this is all part of kind of the broader how do we get our to the end of a game, winning more games than we're losing. Yeah. And at this stage for Chris, this makes the most sense. I keep thinking back to a couple of years ago, and we haven't seen an opener used yet, but Archer, I think only one time this year has faced the lineup, maybe three batters, a third time through only one time. Is there any rationale to have an opener for him? Uh, Griffin Jacks, who was dominant last year, first time he saw a lineup, and that he's transitioned great to this bullpen role, but to having an opener in front of Archer, would there be any positive that could come from that? Well, I think it depends on lineups. You know, oftentimes when the opener was pioneered in the game and people started using it, it was maybe the top of the lineup is is uh, particularly uh, platoon-oriented against yeah. an individual starter. So you had three left-handed hit hitters to start the game. Well, if you could start with a lefty, knock those guys out early, and then your right-handed starter comes in after, and he doesn't face those guys as many times when he rolls the lineup back over, it could make some sense. But every pitcher is going to be different. Every, every situation is going to be different. We have not deployed that because we don't feel that's uh, a necessity for us in the way we build up. The other thing is how a starter gets ready for a game. Sometimes everyone is in, so different you know, with warm-ups, with long toss, with what their routine is going into the game. And we feel like in Chris's case, it's worked out well to give him that, that runway leading right into the first inning. Yeah, Archer was great again yesterday. Twins beat the Rockies 6 to nothing, And today go for the series win as Joe Ryan gets the ball here in Game 3. We'll take a break, come back, talk more with Derek about some injuries, get updates on Polanco and many other guys, Josh Winder as well. It's all coming up. Inside Twins continues live from Target Field next on your home for Twins Baseball.
Welcome back to Inside Twins, brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer, locally owned and operated. It's how memories are created and legends are made. Corey Prove is back with Twins president of baseball operations, Derek Falvey. Twins and the Rockies coming up at 110 today. Jorge Polanco not yet active, Derek, but Rocco hinted uh, to me the other day that it's likely that he'll be back in time for Cleveland maybe tomorrow. Is that still a possibility? We're, ho- we're hoping that. We want to you know, delay any final word on that as he continues to progress with baseball activities. What we've done is, you know, with his back, wanted to give him some time down, certainly got treatment. He was feeling better by the day. We increase those baseball activities every day, and I know that's a broad term, but that's go take some swings, first off a tee, start to do some work in the cage, a little bit of infield work. Well, now run. Now take some more aggressive swings. Now full speed machines, things like that. How he responds each day will tell us if he's tracking in a good direction. So far, it's been it's been good. Yeah, first time ever too on the on the major yeah. league IL, which is remarkable how how tough this guy has been throughout his big league career. Trevor Larnick spoke with him yesterday, and he was in pain and still is in some pain, and he's going to be out for a while. He told me he's seeking a second opinion about what's uh, what's going on. So what what is the latest on Larnick? Yeah, so he has what what is termed a core muscle injury, which you know for a lot of people over the years have heard a term sports hernia. You know that comes up from time to time. It's kind of in that same band of of potential issues that has a range of potential outcomes or otherwise. There are specialists in this space, right? We have our ortho orthopedic surgeons, we have our doctors. They're great in many areas, but there are value. There, there is value sometimes in getting an opinion from someone who's a specialist in this space. He's going to go do that, and we we want that. Uh, And then we'll understand what the plan is thereafter. Could it be a few weeks down? Could it be something longer? We're going to know a lot more after that uh, that evaluation. So just because Kyle Garlick had that and ended his season last year, and I believe it was around July, that doesn't mean the same diagnosis necessarily for Trevor? That's right. It doesn't because those can be two similar issues but but at different severities or in a different area. Uh, I know that's a bit vague right now, but that's somewhat intentional because until we get that evaluation from a doctor who's much more specialized in this space, they may recommend rehab. They may recommend, like you said, in some cases, surgical procedures. So hopefully the, the view here is regardless, the long-term outlook for Trevor should be the same, but it is something we're going to have to address here in the short term. Kenta Maeda's been around. He's been around the team. We, we've seen him on the field playing long toss. Uh, any more clarity as, as to if he'll be able to be a part of this team in some capacity this season? Yeah, we're not ready to put a perfect timeline on it and, and, and answer that question just yet because we want to be thoughtful about making sure we check all the boxes with the rehab and he's continuing to work with his surgeon. But I will say this, you know, he's gotten a chance to throw. Uh, the pitching guys have watched him throw. Kent is an extremely good athlete. For anyone who's ever been around him and watched him, he can he can really swing a bat. Uh, I've heard he probably could really swing a golf club. There's things that he could do that are really unique. But you can see the athleticism coming out in his just catch play already. He feels good. His elbow feels good. And his body's in a great place. So let's continue to stay on this track, and I'm hopeful that maybe he does play a role for us in the second half. And he just threw off off the mound, right, for either the first or second time, a light bullpen yep. session? Yep, and so he's progressed from throwing you know, short distances, just the traditional return, to getting on the mound for a few, throwing some pitches to a catcher down. It's not aggressive yet. This is a normal track with a return from a Tommy John procedure, So he, but he has thrown some balls off the mound. Shifting gears a bit, uh, I saw this in The Athletic. Uh, Evan Drellich has been co- was covering this story that the owners just recently had a kind of a midseason meeting, and among the topics that came up, the competition committee, uh, which was collectively bargained moving forward for 2023 about changes to the game. Do we know more today about possible changes to the game come next season, pitch clock, uh, enhanced bases, shift restrictions? Is there any more motivation or any more drive to making those happen 
come 2023. I think what the competition committee has done is really evaluated the three you just mentioned uh, exhaustively, right? So the pitch clock is being used across the minor leagues. I've been down to our low A club and our triple A club, and I've seen it in action. I will tell you, it picks up the game. There's no question about it. And it's something that I know fans have expressed something we'd like to see. So the likelihood of that feels like it's increasing by the day that we see something like that. Shift restrictions are another area where they are restricting that movement down in the minor leagues, and they are, and we are seeing what that looks like. That is likely, more more likely than not, looking like it's starting to become in focus for next year. Um, and then, you know, larger bases, something they've, they've definitely spent some time looking at. There are a whole host of other issues uh, and ideas that are being tested in the minor leagues, the, the pickoff rules and, the, um, and, and certainly how, how we navigate outfield depths and things like that. That's all part of some of the testing they're doing. But I think the ones you mentioned are the ones that are most focused on right now. So I get the sense that those three will be happening at some point, maybe one or two in time for next season. What you did not mention is the automated strike zone. Is that still a little bit away from, from coming to the big league level? That's what it feels like from the conversations that I've had. Uh, not that it's the technology is in place and they're certainly utilizing it at different levels. There's been a lot of internal discussion as to what exactly is the strike zone, <laughs> because I know that sounds crazy given we've played baseball forever and there is a defined strike zone. But the reality is the way it's called relative to the actual box you see on television isn't it, it isn't apples to apples. There's a little bit more width at the bottom of the zone than there is at the top. Uh, it's a little more oval than it is truly rectangle. So I think that's just reality. What should the strike zone look like going forward? Should it be perfectly the way the box is? Is that at the front of the plate? Is that a three-dimensional design where the ball has to go through? These are things they're still working through over time. And I, I can't help but think about, too, that if and when we do see the ABS, the automated balls and strikes, you know, system come into place, you know, Ryan Jeffers, for example, his strength is framing, not throwing. If that's going to change how you view catchers, and right now, if you draft is coming up next month, if, if, if drafting catchers, if ability to throw is going to be at the forefront for a young catcher that you either draft or sign or even begin to coach in the minor leagues because framing at some point right it's going to be it's going to be gone it's going to be extinct from the game so does that change how you look at that position yeah it's it's definitely it's a fair question Corey and I think because we don't know we don't have any finality to this I think we operate in our minds that we need to continue to develop good well-rounded catchers and while framing and receiving is a part of the game so is game calling so is blocking so is throwing uh, so is running a game and, and being able to navigate offensively too right so I think all of that will still play a role I also think there's an element to how a player a catcher receives the ball that gives a pitcher confidence that feels good for a pitcher so how guys receive how they set up how it looks that will change if we have automatic ball strike there's no doubt about it but I think a lot of the fundamentals will remain the same all right we'll take our final break come back have one last segment with Derek Falvey inside twins brought to you by Killiber Root Beer back with our final segment next on your home for twins baseball
Final segment of Inside Twins brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer, locally owned and operated. It's how memories are created and legends are made. We do have a late roster move the Twins have just announced, and it involves reliever Joe Smith. Yeah, Joe is someone who obviously you know, we signed early, pitched really well early in the season. His last few outings, for those who are watching closely, he hasn't commanded the ball the way he wanted. He's been dealing with some kind of upper trap neck into the upper shoulder area tightness that I think has affected his ability to execute the pitches the way he wants to. He's a gamer. This guy's taking the ball more times than most across baseball, uh, and he wants to be out there. But we feel right now the best thing is to shut him down for a period of time, let that all calm down, let him get back to where he needs to be, because we're going we're gonna to need him and rely on him later. And Giovanni Moran takes his spot. Yep, Giovanni will come up. He's throwing the ball well down in AAA. We feel like someone that can really help us in the next week. Yeah, change up. Good fastball. Velocity up, too, with his fastball this season. Yeah, he's got good stuff. He's always had good stuff, ability to get swing and miss, and I think that hopefully it's starting to translate. He's more comfortable here. I think that's really important. All right, Rocco Baldelli uh, was pretty candid this week about Byron Buxton in a way, Derek, that I that I haven't heard before, saying that you know the knee has been pretty rough uh, certainly this week, and maybe that's been longer than that we were even aware of. Um, in terms of treatment, in terms of diagnosis, is this is this a mystery, or do you have a pretty good idea? What's going on with the knee and, and really how to treat this? Yeah, I, th- I think we, we definitely have a good idea, and, and we certainly don't have just our own ideas. I'll tell you that. You know, certainly when, when you're dealing with a player of Byron's caliber, sometimes you get info from other elite surgeons around the world and around the game, uh, and they give you feedback, and they feel good about the plan we've been on, which is he's dealing with some tendonitis. He has been really most of the year, and so as a result of that, you know, you have to give him some downtime on occasion. I know that's been a point of consternation at times with him, but we work with Byron every day, see how he's doing, see how he's feeling. He wants to be out there, but he also knows there's a there's a long game to this. We're tracking, hopefully, in a good direction where he's able to play. He played yesterday. He's going to play here today. Hopefully, he's tracking to be able to play more games along the way. But there will be stretches, as Rocco alluded to, where maybe he's a little more sore and maybe needs a little bit extra time and a little extra treatment in between. And when that happens, we're going to have to respond to that. But we've been able to stay away from the IL so far, and hopefully we're able to do that going forward. have about 20 seconds left. With what he's dealing with right now, whenever the season does end, will he need surgery on his knee? That's not part of the conversation right now, and I think that's something that's really important. Now, we'll always assess and learn more as we go if there's any reason to believe that's the case. But uh, as it stands right now, that's not that's not part of the plan. Hey, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. I know you're coming on the trip, so uh, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me on, as always. Uh, we thank Derek Falvey for uh, joining us on our Sunday show, Inside Twins, brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer. We have much more to come. The Adana Realty pregame lineup card with Chris is moments away, and then we'll have game three. Twins and Rockies, Ryan Feltner coming up on your home for Minnesota Twins baseball. You've been listening to Inside Twins, brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer, locally owned and operated. It's how memories are created and legends are made. This has been a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.